Now, these verses are going to be on your screen. We'll go to another number of verses tonight in our teaching. We'll start in Luke chapter 8 and verse 4, very familiar scripture. And then we'll go to some other verses. You probably have noticed that my teaching style, if I could call it that, a lot of times, you know, I may share a personal story, but a lot of my illustrations are comparing scripture with scripture. And uh, I don't know why I do it that way. I think I, because the Holy Spirit wants me to do it that way. And uh, Paul even talked about comparing scripture with scripture. And that's a great way for us to learn the word of God. Let me encourage our church family and every, anyone who's watching or will watch this. Um, this is a time when you need to, be, you need to really be pushing yourself uh, into reading the scripture. One of the things that Jesus talked about, one of the things that the other writers talked about was uh, apathy, laziness, spiritual uh, apathy, uh, spiritual lethargy. Those are things that can creep into our lives, especially when we're not attending church uh, and we can fall into bad habits. But this, listen, the spiritual disciplines are very, very important. If we're going to be all that Jesus wants us to be, spiritual disciplines, the discipline of prayer. Do you know many Christians live by their feelings and they pray when they feel like it in their they read the Bible when they feel like it, and they go to church when they feel like it. But that's no way to serve the Lord. And really, that's not serving the Lord. That's serving yourself. That's serving your feelings. You have to die to that. You have to crucify that and take that to the cross. But if we're going to grow in the Lord, we have to press through the adolescence of just doing something because I feel like it. And we have to grow up into that place of spiritual maturity that we do those things because they're righteous and they're right, and that would be the discipline, the spiritual discipline of Bible reading consistently, uh, praying, serving. These are things we have to force ourselves into because many times our flesh uh, kicks against that. Our flesh fights against those things. And uh, great Christians, and I'll tell you about a great Christian in a moment, but great Christians are those who have discipline. Discipline is something we all need in our lives, especially spiritual discipline. Just think what you could do. Think how much you could advance if you would discipline yourself to read the Bible every day. Just, just read every day. It's amazing how much, you, how much of Scripture you could read in an entire lifetime. And so I want to encourage you to be a disciplined person. Now I want to talk this evening for a few minutes and teach on, I've just titled this, The Requirements of a Courageous Life. I think we need courage right now. Uh, I, I think God's calling us as a congregation to courage. I read a, uh, I'm reading actually, a biography of Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers li lived, he was born about 1875, I guess. And he lived up in the first part of the 1900s. And he was actually a missionary to Egypt. He, he served very humbly he served the British soldiers during World War I, and I, I think he ministered in some kind of missionary organization. I know he ministered and worked for the YMCA. The YMCA was way, way different back then. It wasn't about swimming pools and, and you know, tracks and gyms. It was the Young Man's Christian Association. It was about the gospel. It was about serving. It was about advancing the cause of Christ. Oh, haven't we drifted away from that? 
But Oswald Chambers was a man that you might have seen his devotional writings, uh, my utmost for his highest. And, and what that means is my utmost, my utmost devotion, my utmost commitment for God's very best, God's highest. Oswald Chambers died when he was 43 years old. He died of uh, complications of appendicitis, something probably he could have he could have uh, survived today, but he didn't survive. He died. But here's what I'm going to tell you, is that uh, he lived such an impeccable Christian life of devotion and servicehood, uh, a servanthood to, to the soldiers, to those he ministered to, that they, when he died, he was so respected that, that he received a full military funeral. And he wasn't even in the military. How does that happen? That happened because he lived such an impeccable, dedicated, glorious Christian life among those soldiers as he served during World War I. They were so moved that they gave him full military honors, a full military funeral where they fire, fire off the rifles. And one of the leading, I don't know if he was a general or some kind of commander, wept like a baby. And this was a hardened soldier but wept like a baby at the death of Oswald Chambers. He lived such a Christian life. And we have to ask our question, the question, who are the great Christians like that today? I know there are probably many, but don't you want to strive to be that kind of person for Christ? And I think that's the goal, to, to please the Lord like that. So the question we want to deal with tonight is, what does it take to live a life of courage during the time that we're living right now. I want to go to a very familiar passage. And I'm not going to dig into this passage as much as let it spring us into a subject tonight about courage, about the requirements of a courageous life, a courageous Christian life. And it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. I want to just look at this. There again, this is going to lead us into some other passages. But it says this, And when a great multitude had gathered, they came to him from every city, and he spoke a parable. Now you know this parable. So I'm just going to highlight this for a moment. A sower went out to sow seed. Now, these are, this is the teaching of Jesus. Now, this parable is very important. In fact, Jesus said in another place, if you don't understand this parable, you're not, how can you understand any of the parables? So this is a, a basic, fundamental parable about how the kingdom of God would come into the world and how the word of God would touch men. And Jesus is saying really to these followers of him and especially to his disciples that this is, this is what's going to happen when you share the word of God. This is what you should expect. This is how it's going to touch hearts. And, and he says here, a sower went out to sow seed and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and, and it choked it. But others fell on good ground. It sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Now, in the other ones, it says some 30, 60, 100. But here it says a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, notice this, he cried out. He cried. He, in other words, he lit up his voice loudly and cried out, and he said this, he who has an ear, let him hear. So there was, there was an urgency in the voice of Jesus. 
There was an urgency, and I think there's an urgent cry today, and that is how we hear the word of God. He that has an ear, let him hear. And, and hear tonight with those that you watch or will watch this, you're, you'll hear this one of four ways. But I say to you, he that has an ear, you might have heard a lot of things today. You might have been engaged in a lot of things today. But I want you to know, he that has an ear, let him hear. Because what God is speaking to us at this moment is the most important thing there is. It's what God's doing. Not Corona, though we need to pray for people. What's happening, economy, those are secondary issues. What's happening in the kingdom of God, what's happening in our hearts related to the plans, the purpose, and the will of God is the most important thing right now. Why? Because John said in his writings, in little John, he said this, he, uh, these desires of the world, they'll pass away, but he that does the will of God shall abide forever. I want to live forever. I want to live forever in his presence. But to do that, you have to do the will of God. So he cries out. And then he, his disciples ask him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables. And see, Notice, and seeing that they may not see. And hearing that they may not understand. In other words, hearing it audibly, but they don't really hear it. They don't grasp it. They don't let it come into their heart and, and, and bring forgiveness of sins and, and bring new life, which is that's on, only the Word of God can bring, uh, bring us the born-again experience and can, can impart unto us eternal life. This is the seed that brings eternal life. And then he said in verse 11, now, he's, now here's the explanation. It's very simple. He, he said, this is the parable. Here's the teaching. The seed's the Word of God. Well, that's simple. And he said, that, and those by the wayside of those who hear, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they, should, lest they should believe and be saved. In other words, when the word of the gospel goes forth, the enemy wants to take out every influence, every bit of conviction. He wants it to hit hard ground. He wants them to hear it and go, hi, so, and they go to their next concert or to their next meal or whatever. They, there's just no response there. And the enemy works against lost people. He works to harden people to the gospel. He works at, you know, there's a cynicism today in our land about the things of God. And there's, a, there's an irreverence about the holy things of God. Years ago, people might not have followed the Lord, but they respected those who followed the Lord. They might not have followed the word of God, but they would not have desecrated it or blasphemed God. Now those days are over and there's a hardness the seed falls, but it doesn't produce anything. A preacher preaches, and it doesn't produce anything. A teacher teaches, and it doesn't produce anything. Well, I make, my question is, is anything wrong with God? Is anything wrong with this word? Absolutely not. This word can bring miracles into our life. This word can take a person out of darkness into light. This word can lead us to forgiveness of sin and can reconcile us with God. But yet, it has to do with someone's response and the response of the heart. And then he says here, he says in verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who hear. And when they, when they hear, they receive the word with joy and, and have no, they have no root. And, and they who believe, notice this, they believe, but they believe only for a while. And in time of temptation, they fall away. Now, I believe what the word of God says. He said, can a person fall away from God? What does the word of God say? 
How can you interpret it any other way? You know, how can you nuance it and tweak it and say, well, well, no. He says, in a time of trial and temptation, they turn their back on the word of God. They turn their back and they, what do they do? They fall away. And then the ones who fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, they go out and are choked. Why about cares, riches, the pleasures of life? And they bring, they bring no fruit to maturity. They don't, they don't reach harvest. In other words, the fruit starts growing in their life. What did Jesus say? If you stop bearing fruit. Remember what he said in John 15? So, so in other words, they start bearing fruit. But then all of a sudden they start withering. But notice this. One out of four. 25%. But the, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and a good heart. In other words, they keep it. So in other words, it's a treasure to them. They keep it and they bear fruit with patience, endurance. Tonight I'm talking about courage. I'm talking about what it takes to have courage in this hour. One of the things I want you to notice as you study the Gospels is this. You ever notice when someone came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, I want to follow you. That Jesus would, would most generally and almost always lay out the requirements. He never, when they say, I want to follow you. He didn't say, oh yeah, come on. He would say, no, do you understand what it means to follow me? It's more than just saying you want to follow me. Do you know the requirements? In other words, you know, do you really know the cost is what he's saying. You know what it's going to cost you to follow me? I'm going to tell you what's going to cost you everything. To follow Jesus costs everything. It's like the man who went and found the pearl of a great price and sold everything. To follow Jesus, you have to sell everything and your all must become his. You say, you do have to give everything away. No, but you, you, be, you need to be willing to if he calls you to do that. Jesus said this. Now it happened in Luke, Luke 9, Luke 9, 57. Now it happened when they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now how many preachers have heard people say things like that? I'm with you till the end. I'm a supporter. I'm following you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. But Jesus said, don't you know the cost? Don't you understand we're not talking about the Hilton here? He said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying to this person, do you, you want to follow me? I don't even have a place to lay my head. Jesus said, you want to follow me? I don't know from night to night where I'm going to be sleeping. And he said, then he said to, an, uh, then, then he said to another, follow me. You follow me. Follow me. Follow me. He's calling us to follow him. But then, he's, but then he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Some scholars say that his father, he meant this, that let me wait till my father dies. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go bid farewell. Bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said, no one. Now Jesus was radical 
No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's talking about courageous living. He's talking about faithful living, enduring living. He's talking about surrendered living. But those who look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, only those who have courage, only those who have unwavering commitment will make it into the kingdom of God. Notice again, notice again, what does it take? What are the requirements of courage in this hour? Mark chapter 8 verse 34 said this, and when he had called his called the people to himself with his disciples. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulteress, adultery is here, adultery, spiritual adultery, and sinful generation. Jesus said, Jesus said the age that he lived in, that age 20, 30 years before the fall of Jerusalem, those people that he ministered to, he said that age was an adulterous and a sinful generation. He said, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. So I would note, I would have you note that the age that Jesus lived in, that he was calling for courage and commitment and endurance, was an age no different than our age. There's always been difficult times. Yes, there's certainly there's been... Times of in season, out of season. But we're not in that season now. We're in a season where our faith is being tested. Our desires are being tested. Do we want to follow him? Well, so so what, what I want you to see here is, as we begin, this parable of the sower, you know what it teaches? One of the main, many th- but one of the main things it teaches is this, that not all who initially believe will obey the gospel and remain faithful disciples to the Lord. Now, there's some other teaching there, but one of the truths that the parable of the sower teaches is that not all who initially start following Jesus, not all who start out believing will remain faithful disciples to the Lord. We have the wayside, we have the rock, we have the thorns. And we have the good ground. What does it call us to do? We are, we are called to lifelong, lifelong faithfulness requires courage. Did you hear that? Lifelong faithfulness requires courage. When John the Revelator was writing in the 21st chapter of the great revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible, the only prophetic book in the New Testament. Another prophetic passage is, but it's a a prophetic book. It ends with the great revelation of Jesus Christ, him establishing his kingdom and conquering evil and bringing in the age of ages. We read these words of those who will be in the lake of fire. And it's found in Revelation 21 verse 8. 
Here's what the writer says. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, eternal death, lake of fire. Notice how he starts. But the cowardly, the cowardly, those who are going to make it into the kingdom of God need courage. Yes. I, would, I would have you turn to, if you have a Bible there, to Revelation 2. We're going to look at, just briefly, two of the seven churches. Revelation 2, verse 9. Revelation 2, and verse number 9. What are the requirements for courage? Look at this. Revelation 2 and verse number 9. This is the church at Smyrna. I know your works, tribulation, poverty, but you are rich. They, were, they had nothing earthly. They, they, they were poverty stricken. I'm sure that the trade guilds of the Roman Empire that had their gods that were their kind of their mascots and their gods that represented the trade guilds. These were excluded because they could not pray to those idols. They would not serve those idols and it cost them. And, and that's probably where this poverty comes from. But, but he said, but you're rich. He said, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Notice Verse 10, do not fear those things which you're about to suffer. The, de the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. But you will, you will have tribulation 10 days. Notice, have courage, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What is that? That's a call to courage. Now look at chapter 2. In verse number 13. Now, this is the church at Pergamos. Verse 13 reads like this. I know your works and where you dwell and where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name. And did not deny my faith. Even in the days in which Antipas was a faithful martyr who was killed among you. Where Satan dwells. So here is someone, some believe it's the, it was the pastor, that he remained faithful. He courageously would not denounce Christ, would not denounce his faith. He remained faithful unto death. He was called a faithful witness, a faithful martyr, that is. Witness and martyr exchange uh, interchangeable. A faithful martyr. What, what am I saying? I'm saying the Lord is calling us to courage, to be courageous men, a wit, a women of God. And we look in the scripture and we think about as we, as our minds just kind of, kind of breeze through the scripture, we can think way back in the book of Joshua when they were going in to possess the land. What, what did the Lord say to Joshua? Do you remember? The Lord told him to be courageous 
Anything we accomplish for God, we need courage. The Lord said to Joshua in 1 and 8 of Joshua 1, he says these words. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Do you know the word of God can give you courage? That you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. God said, Joshua, God, God said, Joshua, I want you to lead Israel. Yeah, you're going to go in. And yeah, there's still giants there. There's still walled cities there. But I want you to know, you put on courage. You keep your eyes on me. You stay in the word of God. Be of good courage. I'm going to be with you in every challenge that you face. We think of this great courage. How did, how did Jesus describe John the Baptist? Notice this. This is Matthew chapter 11. Verses 7 and 8. Here's Jesus describing John the Baptist in verse 7 and 8. And, and they departed. This was John's disciples. And Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Was that John? Was that this man of God? Was that John's ministry and manner? No, no, he was an Elijah he had an Elijah-type ministry. Remember Elijah? Elijah was the one who went to Ahab and prophesied there would be no rain for three until I say it again. He was a courageous lion for God. This is, this is like John the Baptist. He has an Elijah-type ministry. Jesus said, did you go to see a reed shaken in the wind? He said, but, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, more than a prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah about the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight paths. Courage. It's going to take courage. We, we think about this courage that's displayed. Now, you know, the apostle Peter had his weak moments. Before Pentecost, he blew it. After, uh, at the trial, when he had no courage. At the trial, he was there and the little servant girl began to ask him and said, Surely you're with this Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know what happened in Peter's heart. Fear, his mind began to be gripped by fear. He began to waver. And instead of saying, I'm with Jesus, instead of saying, Yes, I'm with Jesus, I mean, it wasn't very long before he had said, I will go with you anywhere. I will die with you if I have to die with you. But let me just tell you this you got to put your money where your mouth is. You can't just say on a Sunday morning, oh, I'm going to serve the Lord, and then, and then in a month you don't even go to church anymore. No, there has, to be, there has to be a life of courage behind the commitment. There has to be a life of courage, and, and the only way we can have that courage is by the Holy Spirit. 
In our own, if you're relying on your own humanness, I can tell you, the most courageous men in their own humanness will crumble. But the Holy Spirit can give us courage like David when he stood before Goliath. And, but then, of course, Peter denied the Lord. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. He was disappointed in himself. And I, I think we could all say that there's been times that we've all been disappointed in our lack of commitment. We've all blown it. But aren't you glad that we have a Jesus who gives us a second chance? And after the Holy Spirit fell, supernatural strength came into Peter. And then Peter was relying on the Holy Spirit and not on his own, his own willpower. And he stood, of course, you know that on the day of Pentecost, he preached. He preached a marvelous sermon, and people came to the Lord. But then notice this, that it didn't end there after one great sermon. It's, it's not about one sermon. It's about a thousand sermons. It's not a week or a year of ministry. It's about a decade of ministry and, a, and another decade of ministry. It's about doing what God called you to do and doing it until he said, stop doing it and do something else. We need men and women in our congregation that are not people shaken by, in the wind like a reed. But we need those that have courage. Courage to serve the Lord. Courage to come to church when you don't feel like coming. Courage to pray when you don't feel like praying. Courage to serve when you don't feel like church serving. Why? Because it's the discipline. Courage brings discipline into our hearts. A good soldier, Paul said, we got to be like good soldiers and endure hardness and not be entangled in the things of this life, but to be completely immersed in, in doing the will of the commander, our great captain of the Lord's host. And then, but we see this, this courage wasn't just in Acts 2 where he stood up at Pentecost, but, but then we see it again year after year. Peter never failed again. Peter never failed to have courage again. Acts 4, we read of it in verse 13. It says, now, and, and, and he, uh, Peter was speaking before the Sanhedrin. He was speaking to these very group that, it had, that were instrumental in having Jesus put to death. And now Jesus, Peter is not cowering. But it says, when they saw the boldness and the courage of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And then, of course, they see the man who was healed there. But then we read down a little ways, and it says, and he called them in verse 18. So they called them, that's Peter and John, commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. So what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Are they going to preserve their life? Are they going to preserve their reputation? No, it says, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge that. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. And finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Isn't that amazing? What, a, what, a, what an attitude of courage. That wasn't arrogance. It wasn't arrogant. Christians shouldn't be arrogant. We're not talking about arrogance. We're not talking about foolishness. We're talking about genuine, Holy Ghost, Christian courage to take a stand for Christ. 
in this hour. Now think about this. Don't be much longer, so please stay with me. Lifelong faithfulness requires courage. And lifelong faithfulness requires commitment. Look at, look at 1 Peter 4 and verse 19. It says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit. Commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. The word commitment here means to place before. It means to deposit like you would, like you would deposit your money in the bank. I mean, when we deposit our money in the bank, we don't set up at night going, I wonder if our money's there. No, because we, we believe it's there. We, we, we are, or we wouldn't deposit it there. Some people have more money, have more faith in a bank than they do in the, in the Lord of heaven, in the creator, of the, the faithful creator. I believe that we can commit ourselves to God. We can, we can place ourselves before him. We can commit ourselves to a faithful creator. Paul said, he said these words. He said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul had committed his life. Paul had committed his ministry to the Lord. And he said, he's faithful. I know him. He's the creator. Now, as we conclude this, we can entrust ourselves to the Lord. We can have courage. We can, we can trust his promises. And we can trust his presence. I was meditating, reading, came to my heart. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, and 20, 20 through 22. Now notice this. He said, commit to the will of God. You commit your souls. Place yourself before him. That means we can trust him. He's a faithful creator. We can trust his promises. And we can trust his presence. Now think about this. Think about those two things. We can trust his promises we can trust his presence. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 21. Reads like this. For all the promises of God in him are yes. All the promises are for the church, for the people of the Lord. We're rich with the promises. They're yes. All the promises are yes and amen in him to the glory of God through us. So in other words... The promises are through him, through Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, we, we can receive the inheritance of his promises. We can trust his promises. But notice, we can also trust his presence. Now, he who establishes us with Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's nothing a guarantee down here. But we have heavenly guarantees, and that is this, the promises and his presence. We can trust him. Committing means we need to roll our cares on him. You know this verse, 1 Peter 5 and 7, says this. He says, casting all your cares... Upon him, for he cares for you. We can, we can roll all our troubles on him. 
We can roll all our fears on him. In fact, don't carry those. Those things that are anxieties to you, those things that are cares to you. Listen, when there's not peace in the child of God's heart, that's, that's, that means something's wrong. Because the Lord said, I want you to have peace. That peace that pass understanding. Why? We're, we need to roll our cares on him. We need to roll this building project on him. Where's the money going to come from? We're going to roll it on him. We're going to trust in him. Why? He is a faithful creator. He created us. He created me. I was born in 1965, Kansas City, Missouri. And he's my creator. He's, my, he's a faithful creator. The word of God says this, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man, what can man do to me? God's calling us to courage. And the last thing that faithfulness requires in this courage is thought is it requires a faithful confession. To faithfully confess the Lord. In other words, not just one time to confess him. In other words, not just come to the altar and say, I confess Jesus as Lord of my life in initial salvation. But to be unashamed to confess his name. In fact, the more you confess him to others and the more you witness, the more your faith stays vital. It's amazing how when you share your faith, how there's a new breath of life that comes into you. It says in John 12, 42, notice this. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But notice, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They didn't confess him. They said they believed on him, but they didn't confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Well, they didn't need to be there anyway. For, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know what our confession is? The great confession of our lives is Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's our great confession. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in our heart. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But what I want you to say. And what I want to say to you is this. You have to maintain your confession. It's not just one time, but you have to maintain. You have to hold to this confession. Hebrews, I close with these two verses. Hebrews 4.14 and Hebrews 10.23. And we'll pray. Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I reaffirm my faith and I reaffirm my confession before you. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. I confess him as the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world, I confess him on this 
video feed. I confess him before all of you that I confess Jesus Christ. I hold to that confession. I believe that he is the one who is the Savior who forgave our sins, who died for our sins, who took our penalty, who was raised, and now he's ruling and reigning. Jesus is my Savior. I confess him. I hold to that confession. And I want the world to know that he is the lover of our souls. He can save you. And he can keep you saved if you hold to your confession and don't let it go. I don't want to let him go. And I believe that we have all the grace that we'll ever need. We're not saved by works. We're saved by unwavering faith in Jesus. And as we put our faith in him, we have all the grace we need to stay abiding in him, to stay vital and strong Christians. And works are, are the overflow. Works are the fruit of where your faith is. Where a person's faith in, where, where your faith is, the works will follow. Whatever your faith is in, your, the works will follow that. What your faith is in, the results will be, will show, the fruit will show. So we keep our faith in Jesus. We trust in him and nothing else. And he is he's going to sustain us and give us that courage that we need. So I pray for you today. I pray, God, that you would give courage to your people. Strengthen us with new grace. Lord, help us not to allow the things of this life to diminish us in any way in our in our devotion to you. But let our hearts be aflame with holy devotion to thee. I pray for your people. I pray for this church, this body in particular, our church, Trinity Life Family. And I pray there be a new sense of commitment to one another. A new commitment to you. I pray, Father, that you send holy fire. Send revival among us. Send the outpouring of your spirit among us. Lord, I pray for a spirit of faith that you would pour out the gift of faith in our congregation to believe without doubt that you're going to move us past coronavirus. You're going to move us past what's happening in our world. And we're going to build a church here for thy namesake. Lord, give us your help. Help us to be strong, to be unwavering in our trust in you, Lord. Lord, I bless you. Lord, I worship you. I praise your glorious grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We bless your holy name. Blessed be your name. We worship you, Jesus. Just another moment here. Let's just worship him. Thank you for your mercies, Lord. We bless your holy name. Oh, we bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we conclude our time together this evening, I pray that you would uh, would not soon push this these thoughts away, the Holy Spirit's place in our heart, but that, that we would meditate on these things. And, and one of the things that, that you don't need to do is immediately from leaving this time of worship is to go turn on a TV or something like that, but just take some time to let this settle in. 
upon your heart that it, it would go deep in our spirits tonight. So allow me to close in prayer and, and give you the blessing this evening. I, I love each of you. We'll be here Sunday morning worshiping. Those that, that, want, that still want to join us online, please, please don't miss any service. We believe the Lord is still moving. He is speaking to hearts and he's building his work. So Father, Lord, as we, as we leave each other's presence tonight, Lord, we have met one another on this video. We have met one another at the throne of the Lord. I believe that you are pleased with our gathering this evening. I pray for new grace in your people. I pray you would build this church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And now, church, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen as you're dismissed. God bless you.